Isaiah 35. Let's look at the first four verses to begin with. The Bible says, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. We looked at Isaiah 34 a couple of weeks ago, and it was the passionate wrath of God being poured out on his enemies. This week, we're going to look at the passionate love of God being poured out on his friends. The title of the Bible study out of Isaiah 35 is, Isaiah 35 is this, The Righteous Kingdom Established. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Thank you, as Brother Mike said a few minutes ago, we have the Word of God. And uh, Lord, imagine uh, trying to imagine walking through life without Scripture to teach us and guide us, as many have in, in millennia past. Lord, we're blessed. We have many copies of the Bible in our home. We have apps on smart devices and computers uh, with uh, Bible programs. And Lord, we have the Bible everywhere. May we never get used to it. May it never become ho-hum. May we cherish it. Lord, may we take the truths that are found here and go forth and be encouraged by them and do our best to live them. Help us to have attentiveness this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we have been discussing in here with uh, the book of Isaiah for quite some time, we have been talking about how God is a passionate being. God is a passionate being. If you were able to get God in your physical space and spend time with Him, what you would find is that God is not lazy. God does not do things in a way that's slouch or half-hearted. God is all in on whatever He is doing. We talked about God and His creation, the six days of creation on Sunday morning, and we saw those six literal days of creation of that God did not just take five minutes to speak light and darkness and, and, and the sun, moon, and stars in a place. God, with His hands, spent an entire day working hard. God was active in that effort because God is a passionate being. I think of Jesus when He walked the earth, the three and a half years of ministry He had. Jesus was not some long-haired hippie walking around acting soft. Uh, no, uh, the Renaissance artists have painted Jesus as being some effeminate-looking soft guy. Uh, Jesus was a carpenter prior to being a preacher and Carpenters didn't have power tools, and uh, Jesus was a hard worker. Jesus was a strong man. Jesus probably didn't have long hair. That's another discussion for another time. Uh, we get these images painting, painted in our head uh, by some, uh, uh, I'm trying to not use mean words, some uh, painter who is soft. And uh, we get these ideas. My friend, Jesus was none of those things. Jesus was a strong man. And the three and a half years Jesus walked this earth, he, many a nights he didn't go to bed. Why? Because he was passionately 
praying. Uh, Jesus, uh, many a days, uh, would not rest. Why? Because He was healing sick people uh, day in and day out. Moment in and moment out. He was busy uh, doing the work of the Father. In fact, He took His disciples away to rest. The crowds followed Him and He didn't say, hey, guess what? I'm on vacation. Y'all get out of here. He said, no, listen, we need to help these people. And after several days of trying to, or several uh, hours of helping them, He sat them down and He fed them with five loaves and two small fishes. Then he went up in the mountain all night and prayed. And that was his vacation. Jesus was God on earth. And Jesus was a passionate, passionate being. And you know, that is a a great definer of the character of who God is. He is a passionate, passionate being. We looked at Isaiah 34 uh, a, a couple of weeks ago and we saw the terror of the Lord. How that the mountains will melt with the blood of the enemies of God there in the valley of Megiddo in the valley of Armageddon. God will collect together His enemies and take them to a place where He'll offer them up as animals. He'll slice them open and gut them on the altar. And that is that is that is a, a, a gory, uh, uh, coarse language, but it's just evidence to how passionate God's wrath is against sin. But my friend, if you land on the other side of God's passion and you look at the flip side of the coin, what you find is that uh, God is passionate in His love toward His people. Isaiah 34 and 35 are all part of the same prophecy. Isaiah 34 shows us the passionate wrath of God. Isaiah 35 shows us the passionate love of God. Both of these take place during what the what Scripture describes as the day of the Lord. Uh, we mentioned how the Jewish day begins in the evening, followed by the morning. Ours begins with the morning, followed by the evening. And uh, the evening uh, uh, in the uh, day of the Lord will be the wrath of God being poured out in the darkness of of that time and that seven year tribulation followed by the morning of the millennial reign where Jesus will pour out his love and reign supreme. Now, when you're going through life's hardships, because we all go through them, when you're going through life's hardships, it is important to remember that God has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you. He will let you go through a hardship. He may let you suffer through a hardship. But He has a time of comfort awaiting your future. Someone put it this way. The sun's coming up in the morning. Amen? How many of you have gone through some long, dark times and the sun came up in the morning? You know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden, uh, you know, you're walking around through life and it's almost though you have that cloud. I remember Pink Panther from back in the day. You got that cloud, right, that just follows you. Every I'm too young to know Pink Panther, but I watched it anyway. Amen? Cartoon Network. But uh, uh, that, that little rain cloud following you around. And, uh, and uh, it's not raining on anyone but you. You know what? Eventually that goes away and the sun comes up in the morning. And, and God uh, will allow hardship in your life. He'll allow struggle in your life. He's not forgotten you. Don't think that He's forgotten you. Now, uh, we're going to look at the Jews here, and we're going to see that at the time of the writing of Isaiah 34 and 35, they thought that God had forsaken them and forgotten them. And God used Isaiah to write this prophecy to tell them those enemies out there that are saber-rattling, 
those enemies out there that are threatening you, one day God is going to punish them, and one day God is going to pour out His love on you. And it's not, this is not going to be the end of the story. This is the middle of the book. This is not the end of the book. This story, if you love God, King Jesus, one day He's going to be established on His throne, and He's going to reign supreme right here on planet Earth. And all of this will just seem like a fleeting moment. Let's look at two main thoughts uh, out of Isaiah 50, or 35 rather, and then uh, uh, under letter B, or rather, rather under point 2, we have, uh, we have quite a bit of material to cover. So let's jump right in tonight. Number one, notice the consternation of the Jews. The consternation of the Jews. They were quite upset. They were quite bothered. They were quite fearful. Uh, they were confused. They were consternated. Turn over to 2 Kings chapter 18. Now, I cannot prove, I cannot prove, no one can prove that Isaiah 34 and 35 were written at the time of 2 Kings 18. However, we do know that Isaiah was alive. We'll see Isaiah in 2 Kings 18 uh, here in just a moment. This is the same Isaiah, we believe. And so I believe that uh, it is an easy narrative to see how that God very well could have used Isaiah to write Isaiah 34 and 35 at the same time these events are going on in 2 Kings 18. And so quickly, just to remind you of what's going on. We've looked at 2 Kings 18 a few times over the last few months as we've gone through Isaiah. But just a really quick recap what's been going on here. God raised up the Assyrians to punish the ten northern tribes. Because the ten northern tribes and all of their kingdom, with all of their kings from Rehoboam forward, all of them did evil in the sight of the Lord. They all went to either Bethel or Dan and bowed down to false idols and neglected Jehovah God. And God sent prophet after prophet to warn them and warn them. They ignored the warnings. And so God raised up the Assyrians to come in and carry away the ten northern tribes for good. They would never be reestablished. They still have not been reestablished. They were scattered abroad uh, all over the place. They were to stop after the ten northern tribes. The Assyrians neglected that warning and instead continued on into Judah where God did not want them. Second Kings 18. Look with me at verse number 13. Look at verse number 13 of Second Kings 18. The Bible says, Now in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. Now, we've already seen prophecies written against Assyria earlier in the book of Isaiah where God punished Assyria for doing this. But they're going through the, the, the state, if you will, uh, the larger region of Judah, and they're conquering smaller cities. And they're shutting down highways. The shutting down of highways is going to be of, of importance later in the Bible study. Look at verse number 17. And the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rab, uh, uh, Rabsaris and Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they were come up, uh, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the fuller's field. So they're going to surround Jerusalem and they're going to begin to breathe out threatenings and fear, and they're going to begin to threaten to take over 
Jerusalem as well. Now, we know the end of the story. We know that God ends up killing 185,000 Assyrians in one night with his angel right outside this fenced city. We know that now. But can I tell you, they didn't know that when they were being scared. They didn't know that when the Assyrians were right out there. They had already carried away their much larger brother, Israel. Judah's just one tribe, right? And then they've gone through and they've conquered all these little cities. And now they have Jerusalem surrounded and they're beginning to threaten to take them out. They have an army much larger than Israel or the Jerusalem's army uh, was. And so if you're just strictly looking at this from man's point of view, uh, Hezekiah did not stand a chance against Rabshakeh, against, uh, uh, against uh, the king of Assyria. They, he stood no chance. Now, uh, but however, there is a God, and when God is on your side, you can beat anybody, okay? So the consternation of the Jews. Look at 2 Kings 19. You can see why they were consternated, why they were upset. They were so upset because here they're surrounded and they're afraid they're going to die. Look at verse number 1. And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. That's a good place to go, by the way, when you're in trouble. By the way, listen up here. When life gets hard on you, Christian, do not run from church. Run to church. So many Christians fall out of church when life gets hard. Don't do that. Some of you are watching this live stream at home and you haven't been in a church building in years. Listen, don't run from church. Run to church. By the way, live stream does not replace being in church. It just doesn't. Uh, You're having church and what's comfortable to you on your couch. Don't tune me out. Don't shut me off. Amen? Hang in there. I'm glad you're watching. But that is not a replacement for being here. And if you don't live in the area, then you need to find a church in your area and make it yours. It's called the local church, not the internet church. Get one. Amen. He went into the house of the Lord. Look at verse 2. And he sent Eliakim, which was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. This is the same Isaiah that wrote the book that we're studying verse by verse right now. So Hezekiah is in trouble. He does two things immediately. He goes into the house of the Lord and he sends for the preacher. Well, that's a pretty good thing to do when you're in trouble, isn't it? That you run to the house of the Lord and you call the preacher. And that's exactly what he did. And I believe, this is my opinion, I believe that Isaiah 34 and 35 were written while Israel, Jerusalem, was surrounded by the Assyrians. Look down at verse 6 and 7. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall ye say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast." Upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword 
in his own land. And this is exactly what happened. There was a loud noise that uh, caused them to go home and uh, seek to fight a battle that didn't exist. And, and then when they came back, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were killed in one night. And then Rabshakeh got up, rather the king got up, and he ran home. And when he ran home into the temple to worship his God, his own sons killed him. This prophecy came true because God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. And when God's people turn to Him in their time of trouble, God comes through. The consternation of the Jews. You may feel as though emotionally you're surrounded. You may feel as though you are in a bad place at times and the walls are closing in and the rain of life is pouring down on you. Maybe it's a financial struggle where, listen, you ever you know the story of the little boy that the city's below... Um, uh, sea level and it's got the wall to keep the water out and he puts his finger in a hole here and he's got to put a thing over here and he's got to put his toe over here and you know what at some point the water just keeps coming in the walls breaking down you ever felt that way financially you ever felt that way like how am i going to pay all these bills you know what i'm talking about you ever felt that way medically medically where one medical problem after another just it, it, it and if it's not you it's people you love and you're running over here and helping this one. Uh, you ever felt that way mentally or spiritually? There have been times, I hope, I hope uh, listen, I know that someone needs to hear what I'm about to say. There have been times in my Christian life when I wasn't a pastor. It's even happened when I was a pastor. There have been times, especially when I wasn't a pastor, I'd sit on a pew and God's man would preach the word and I would know everything he was saying is true but it went in one spiritual ear and out the other because I was spiritually wounded. I was spiritually wounded. And I would sit there and I was licking my spiritual wounds and the preaching didn't seem to be doing anything to help me. Anything to help me. How many of you ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? You know what you do in those times? You keep going to church. You keep reading your Bible. You keep praying. You keep listening to preaching. You don't give up because eventually God is going to heal those wounds and you're going to get better. Consternation of the Jews. Uh, they have the enemies breathing down their neck and there seemed no human way possible they could overcome and Isaiah writes about a day where God is going to send great deliverance from the enemy. The consternation of the Jews. Number two, notice the comfort of the prophet. The comfort of the prophet. Let's see here. Let me give you a letter A, and then we're going to get verse by verse into chapter 35 here. Letter A, notice the excitement of the land. The excitement of the land. Now, you say, Pastor, that's a stretch. How can land get excited? Did you know that Nature has a voice that only God can hear. They've sent satellites up into space and they can hear noises coming through space. Can I tell you what I think? I think that those are noises being made by nature to glorify God in a language that we don't understand, but God does. I believe that even the birds singing, they're singing praises to God. Isn't it beautiful to sit out on the porch and listen to the birds sing? You know, that's beautiful for our ears to hear. But you know, God understands what they're singing. 
Look at chapter 35, look at verse 1. You're going to see that this idea of the land being excited by Isaiah 35 indeed is not a stretch. It's exactly what Scripture says. Look here. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice. There's the excitement. They're glad. They're rejoicing. And blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, uh, the excellence of Carmel and, uh, of, and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. I, I, I downloaded these pictures from the Internet and forgot to send them over to Brother Joe to put them on the screen. But uh, there's a desert in Chile. I believe it's called the... Let's see. I'm not even trying to say the names. I'm going to mess it up. There's a desert in Chile, and occasionally it will rain there. And when it rains, it goes from being the driest desert on planet Earth to being covered in flowers. And it is beautiful. Just when you get home, don't do it now. When you get home, just, just put in a search engine, flowers in the desert, and you will see some pictures that are just breathtaking. And listen, there's going to be a day when Jesus comes back, deserts are going to be done away with, and Jesus is going to heal this planet and uh, deserts will be gone, and instead there'll be lush, beautiful pastures filled with roses. Turn over to Genesis chapter 3 with me. Genesis 3. Let's do a little Bible study here on this idea of nature being made whole. I love to do this kind of thing because I think what can happen is that many Christians can get sucked in to the we-need-to-save-the-planet stuff, and uh, we need to worship the planet. Listen, Romans 1 talks about worshiping the creature over the creator. And that's what environmentalism is. It's worshiping planet Earth. Don't call it Mother Earth, all right? Uh, he's the father. There is no divine mother. There's only a divine father. And when you refer to Earth as Mother Earth, you are implying that we worship God the Mother Earth. And that's not correct. Uh, the earth was created by God. It was created for us, for God's glory and for our use. Look at Genesis 3 with me and look at verse 17. And we see what happened to the earth. Verse 17 says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Look at here. Cursed is the ground. For thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. If field, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Listen, when Adam chose to eat of the fruit and obey his wife into sin, God cursed the earth. God cursed the planet because of Adam's sin, and now the earth is crying out. Turn over to Romans 8. Romans 8, the earth remembers the day uh, when, the earth, when it wasn't cursed and when it was whole, exactly the way God wanted it to be. And the planet now is under this sin curse, just like we are. And the planet is suffering as a result. Look with me at Romans chapter number 8, and look at verse number 19. Now the Bible says, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Look at verse 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willing, 
uh, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until now. The, the planet... The, 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 the nature is crying out. The creation is crying out to have this sin curse lifted. And, and uh, the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 35 that when King Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom, that this curse will be lifted and the, the, the land will be made whole. Look at Psalm chapter 96 in verse 11. Uh, this is prophesied in the book of Psalms. Psalm 96 and verse number 11. I know I'm moving quick. Some of you are having a hard time keeping up. And if that's the case, don't fight me on it. Don't get frustrated on it. Just, just uh, sit there and, and let me read and you hang on. Psalm 96, verse 11. The Bible says, Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Look here. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein shall all the trees of the wood rejoice because the Lord... Well, rather before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Look at chapter 98 and verse 7. 98 verse 7, same concept here. The Bible says, let the sea roar and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for He cometh to judge the earth with righteousness. Shall He judge the world and the people with equity? I can hear the critic right now saying, Pastor Lejeune, don't you think that this is metaphorical and not literal? I mean, waves clapping their hands for God. I, I mean, it, it, come on. That's a stretch. And I would say it is not a stretch. You remember when uh, Jesus came riding in on the back of the donkey in uh, Jerusalem, and they, the Pharisees said to them, he said, tell these young children to be quiet because they're speaking heresy. You remember what Jesus said? He said, if these are quiet, the rocks would cry out. The rocks would cry out. You remember when Jesus stood on the boat there uh, in this, the raging storm, and he put out his hand, and he said, peace, be still. And you remember that waves immediately came to a stop and obeyed Him. And you remember what the disciples said? They said, who is this man that even the wind and seas obey Him? Obey Him. Nature has a voice. And yes, while we groan and travail with pain, so does nature. Look at Isaiah chapter 55. Back to the book of Isaiah. We're in 35. Turn over to chapter uh, 30. We're in 35. Turn over 20 chapters to the right. Isaiah chapter 55, and we see this same idea here. I don't want anyone to think I'm stretching Scripture. There's just an abundance of the, of the Word of God that seems to indicate that nature one day will be made whole, and uh, this sickness of the planet will be lifted, the sin curse will be gone, and even nature will rejoice and praise the Lord. Look at Isaiah 55, and look at verse 12. The Bible says, For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Uh, 
when I'm out uh, clean, uh, uh, cutting my lawn and uh, I've got weeds that grow up in my driveway and uh, grow up on the rock ledge behind my driveway and I'm out there with a weed eater. Brother Jason, he takes care of our lawn here. I see him walking around the property with uh, a weed, weed killer. You know, when Jesus rules and reigns, there will be no more weeds in your garden. Amen? Isn't that great? The weeds will be gone. Brother Jason, they won't grow up in the church parking lot anymore. They won't be pesky weeds any longer. Amen. Won't that be great? Uh, They're going to be gone. Why? Because even nature will become obedient and the curse will be lifted. Uh, Turn over with me to Zechariah chapter number 14. Zechariah 14. Before you do, before you do that, uh, let me read for you back in Isaiah 53 verses 6 and 7. Uh, rather, Isaiah 35, verses 6 and 7. We looked at how nature one day is going to be made whole, but I want to move on to the next part of Isaiah 35 here. Listen to verse 6. The Bible says, Then shall the lame man leap as an harp, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out. Look here. For in the wilderness shall waters break out. I love this phrase. And streams in the desert. Streams in the desert. So the deserts are going to go from being barren wastelands to grushy, lush meadow, uh, grassy, lush meadows and streams running through the desert. Verse 7, And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water, and the, inhabit- and, and the habitation of dragons, or the habitation of the reptile world, uh, where each lake shall be grass with reeds and rushes, streams in the desert. This is both literal and metaphorical. This is both literal and metaphorical to have streams running in the desert. Zechariah chapter 14. I had you turn there a moment ago. Let me, let me catch up to you and get over there. Zechariah 14, verses 8 and 9. I'm going to tell you what. We're going to throw them up on the screen at home for those watching online. And I probably ran everybody off the live stream after that comment earlier. But if you're hanging with us online and you're still watching, and the verses are going to be thrown up there, let's see. Brother Jason, read verses 8 and 9 for us. Isn't that great? Now check this out. And Ezekiel 47 is another place you can study this, okay? We're not going to get into Ezekiel 47 tonight. We'll do that another time. But check this out. King Jesus is going to sit on his throne, and he is going to be the source of the river that runs through the desert. If you look at Jerusalem right now, it sits up on a rock ledge, and it borders a desert. Some argue that it's in a desert. Others argue that it's just outside the desert. If you ask me, I look at Jerusalem, and it looks like it's in a desert. It's rocks everywhere. There's not a lot of green. Uh, One day, Jesus is going to sit on his throne, and from out underneath the temple where Jesus sits, a river is going to begin with Jesus and flow out of the temple and out of the city of Jerusalem and split into an east river and a west river. Why? Because Jesus is living water. This is a literal river that will exist when Jesus sits on the throne. But this is also metaphorical. Turn over to John chapter number 7 and look with me at verse number 37. John 7 and verse number 37. 
Who's there who can read that for me? Brother Sean, stand, why don't you stand up for us, read that real loud for us. 37 and 38. So Jesus is speaking to a group of people who are in a desolate place. Remember, 300 years between the close of the Old Testament and John the Baptist. 300 years of spiritual dearth, dryness. And on the scene comes John the Baptist. He introduces Jesus. It's dry and spirit, it's spiritually dry and dusty. And Jesus says, if you'll believe on me, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Now, this obviously is not literal, right? That waters would come shooting out of their belly. This is metaphorical. But what's the Bible saying here is that Jesus is the living water. And when you believe on him, just like he told the woman at the well, ye shall never thirst. How many of you were were an older teenager or, or, let's see, 15 and older when you got saved? 15 or older when you got saved? Hold your hand. How many know what I mean when I say that you remember being spiritually empty and dry, and now that you're saved, you have the assurance of salvation, and that dryness is completely gone. How do you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Why? God has quenched that spiritual thirst for the rest of your life. I got saved at four. I don't know any different. Amen? Uh, but uh, you, you that are older, you know exactly what I'm talking about. One day, the land is going to rejoice. It isn't just the redeemed in Christ that are going to rejoice. The earth is going to cry out. The trees are going to clap their hands. The ocean is going to clap its hands. Uh, the world, uh, the planet is going to rejoice because King Jesus sits on the throne and reigns supreme. The comfort of the prophet. We see the excitement of the land. Let's begin looking at letter B. We probably won't finish it tonight. Let's look at letter B. Let's look at the encouragement of the lame. Go back with me to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35 and look with me at verse number 3. Verse number 3. The Bible says, Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Now, uh, verse 4 is going to get into some people that have physical handicaps. Let me just say about verse 3. I believe these are the people who were so terrified by the Assyrian army outside of the gate that they had become crippled by fear. Have you ever been so afraid that it just almost shut down your bodily functions? Where you just about couldn't move? You ever been so afraid you were just frozen in place? Even if it was just for a moment. You ever been so afraid that even if your hands and your feet work, your heart almost melted inside of you? You know what I'm talking about this evening? You had fear just, just paralyze you and, and limit you. Here, verse 3 is addressing people who are not physically handicapped. They're emotionally handicapped. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Verse 4, say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Now, uh, the vengeance of God is scary if you're on the other side of God's passion. But if you're on the right side of God, the vengeance of God is a good thing. Because He's going to pour that out on the enemies of the world while He lifts you up and while He heals you. The encouragement of the lame. He will heal fearful hearts. He will heal 
fearful hearts. Two verses real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Brother John, can you turn there and read that for us? Brother Isaac, Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. If you two could quickly turn there. If you here this evening and you have a heart full of fear because of some situation in your life, you're just discouraged and, and afraid of what the future holds. Maybe you're one of these people that you're always looking out ahead for what could be, what could go wrong. My friend, look at, ahead of your problem and see the God behind your problem because He's greater than it. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. You got that, Brother John? Yes. Very good. Fear doesn't come from God, right? One day when God comes, He's going to remove fear completely from the scene. We won't feel it. We won't experience it because God's love will wash away our fear. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Brother Isaac? Yeah, uh, we see there that fear just melts away because of God's righteousness. It's all gone. And, 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 and here, uh, Isaiah is telling the people, he's saying, listen, be strong. Don't fear, right? Uh, uh, he's saying, behold, your God will come. He's going to come with vengeance. He's going to come and punish the enemies. He's going to come and heal you. He's going to come and save you. And so we see uh, that He will heal uh, uh, fearful hearts, but He will also heal broken bodies. Go back to Isaiah 35. Look at verse number 6. The Bible says, Then shall the lame man leap as an heart. That's going to be fun to see. The tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Look at verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Now, there are all kinds of great things that have happened uh, that we read about in the Bible. And someone says, well, if you could go back to any time in, in the Bible era and live, which one would it be? And I have to say, it would be really neat to see Moses part the Red Sea. It'd be really neat to see the walls of Jericho fall. It'd be really neat to see, you know, Samson uh, 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 kill all those people with a jawbone of a donkey. It'd be really neat to see just how strong and, and mighty he was. It'd be, there's all kinds of neat things in the Bible. It'd be able to be neat to go back and see. But I have to say, to walk around with Jesus and watch him heal people. I don't know that there's anything I'd put above that. Right? To just follow him around for a day and watch him interrupt a funeral and, you know, crash the funeral and end it because he raised the, the little girl back to life. Wow! That'd be great, wouldn't it? To watch him walk up to two blind guys and them go running off having seen for the first time in their life and the joy on their face. Right? Why did Jesus do all this? this? This came to me this week. I got this angle on this truth this week. It's always been there, but first time I think I've seen it. Why did Jesus heal people when he walked uh, the earth? Did he need to do that to prove he was God? No, he did not. He did not. You know why I think he did it? I think he was giving us a preview of what the millennial kingdom is going to be. Except he's not going to do it one instance at a time. Everyone who loves the Lord and believes in Him that is blind and deaf and lame and mute, God's going to take all of that away at one time. Isn't that going to be amazing? There's going to be none of that. 
Uh, but by the way, it isn't just that God is going to take away the physical limitations of blindness and deafness and lameness and, and muteness. He's going to take away the spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness and all of those things spiritually. Uh, next week when we, come, when we convene in this room in this time, we're going to look at those who struggle with these uh, limitations on their faith and we're going to talk in great detail about how God will remove that and God will make it uh, crystal clear for us to believe. And then we're going to look at, let me just give you a little preview for next week. Look back at Isaiah 35 and look at verse number 8. Uh, I, it, this, is, this is great. It says, And an highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men or the traveling men. Uh, Though fools shall not err therein, no lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with song and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Those are beautiful verses. And, and here's what we're going to look at next week. We're going to talk about the highway of holiness. Because uh, in, it, the highway of holiness is one of the themes you find all throughout the book of Isaiah. But understand that the Assyrians had taken away the road system in Judah that was not available. It was a scary thing to travel on the roads because the Assyrians were in control of those systems. One day, God is going to lay down a highway to Jerusalem, a physical highway to Jerusalem, called the Highway of Holiness. And only certain people are going to get to travel on it. Next week, we're going to finish talking about how that, uh, uh, how that the lame are encouraged, and then we're going to look at this Highway of Holiness in great detail. I hope you'll be back next Wednesday as we look at this and get a little bit better of idea of what the Millennial Kingdom is going to be like. Let's stand together as we're dismissed with a word of prayer. I hope you've enjoyed the Bible study this evening. hope you've grown in your knowledge of the Word of God. Listen, if you're going through a tough time in your life, Keep doing what's right. Keep going forward and uh, the Lord will comfort you and brighter days will be ahead. Let's pray.